0: Wealth Industry Focus, it's Thursday, April 30th. I'm your host, Nick Seipel. Joining me today is Motley Fool contributor Lou Whiteman. Lou, how's it going?
1: I'm doing all right. How you doing?
0: You know, I'm hanging in there. I know you're in Atlanta. Uh, you know, craziness going on in that neck of the woods. You know, you've got family that works for the CDC, lots of stuff going on with opening up the economy over there. What is. Uh, how, how how are you feeling with, with the current state of the world over in that in your neck of the woods?
1: It, I'm I'm going to steal this from someone on Twitter, but uh, between us leading the way, shall we say, in reopening and the fact that the governor just said uh, teenagers don't need to take a driver's test but to start driving, to get their license, uh, the one thing to come out of this pandemic is nobody's going to want to visit Georgia. Huh?
0: There you go. Yeah, the roads. <laughs> Watch out, everybody on the roads in Georgia. We're going to have a lot of inexperienced drivers driving around.
1: I don't understand how that's a good idea, but yeah. <laughs>
0: Alright, we've got a, a fun show today. We're going to be diving into United Technologies. We discussed this company a few times on the show in the context of this upcoming uh, split out of, of several different companies, uh, Raytheon Technologies, Carrier, uh, Air Conditioning, and Otis Elevators, are going to be spinning off of that company. And we got a question from Vinny, asking us to dive into, into some of those companies. So, so, Vinny asked, said, loves the podcast, you guys are the most focused of the podcast from The Motley Fool and full of great non-conventional investment tips. I'm curious if you could do a podcast on Carrier and Otis. I'm sure many of us have inherited shares from the United Technologies and Raytheon merger. I'm not sure what to make of their valuations and debt levels and whether to buy, sell, or hold them. Thanks for continuing on in the age of coronavirus, sending you a virtual corona beer." Vinny, thanks for sending in that question. I just want to remind everyone to find your beach in this time of coronavirus. He said it's so in his corona. So, uh, I, I, think, I think that's an important thing. Uh, But I think one of the the points Vinny touches on uh, of the idea of you're going to be holding these shares, uh, you you held United Technologies and now you're going to be left with shares of Carrier and Otis, it's this conundrum that a lot of people have when they own shares in a spinoff. And that's part of the reason why there's a lot of uh, famous investors that call off spinoffs as an attractive part. Uh, as, a, as an attractive area uh, to invest in. There's one quote from Peter Lynch that says, "...spinoff companies are often misunderstood and get little attention from Wall Street. Investors often are sent shares in the newly created company as a bonus or a dividend for owning the parent company, and institutions especially tended to miss, dismiss these shares as pocket change or found money. These are favorable omens for spinoff stocks." That's a Peter Lynch quote. So, Lou, when you look at this, obviously, there, there's a natural constituency of sellers for this stock. They, they, they get uh, this this these new shares that weren't in the company they originally uh, held, but there's not a natural group of people out there to buy the stock. When you get uh, you know a, a spinoff stock, you know pushed to your portfolio, how do you handle those shares uh, yourself?
1: Well, I think it's important to look at the spinoff and look at what's going on in the company leading up to it. Uh, you know, we we talk a lot about a conglomerate discount, which is an outside looking in where uh, maybe the market doesn't fully value the sum of the parts. Um, The important thing to remember with these companies is there's an internal tension too, where you have different businesses with different capital allocation needs, different growth trajectories, all kind of competing for resources and intention inside the parent. Uh, Often a unit can get neglected or a unit, its best interests may be sacrificed for the greater good. Uh, You can't have the capital. You see an opportunity, but the capital isn't there because it's going elsewhere. Uh, These are the sort of narratives that can set up very interesting spin-offs so when I when I look at spinouts I try I think it's important to look at the narrative look at what led up to it uh, is this a viable standalone business that maybe has opportunities out on her own on, on its own or is this just a part they didn't want anymore or a way to dump liabilities uh, it, it's very important to look at the individual case and see what's going on
0: uh, absolutely. You mentioned that increased focus, and that, that's part of another quote that I pulled uh, from Michael Mobuson. I, a lot of people be familiar with his work. He does a lot of deep uh, research into the factors that drive uh, returns for stocks. And he says on spinoffs, as researchers who do a meta-analysis, more than 25 papers in the spinoffs literature summed up their findings this way, the main conclusion is consistent. Spinoffs are associated with strongly significant abnormal returns. And they suggest the factors that explain these wealth effects include sharpened focus, better information, and in some cases, tax treatment. So in the cases of these spin-offs, and we'll talk about some later, they're positioned to take the cash that they're producing in their business and focus it toward the priorities relevant to that what was once a subpart is now its own company on its own. I do want to before we go into these three companies coming out from United Technologies. You mentioned cases where sometimes a spinoff is some asset that the company can't find a market for. They choose to spin it out just to kind of get it off their books and remove that anchor from from the core company. When you're, you know, given these new spinoff shares, how do you how do you decide or reach the conclusion that this is an attractive company to hold on to or not? And do you have any examples of cases in the past where, hey? This spinoff was a clear case of the company cutting loose uh, you know some dead weight
1: sure, sure well I, like I say I think it's important to look at the narrative to really look at what's going on uh, a good example uh, from recently in the same sort of sector is uh, Honeywell technologies in two thousand and eighteen they spun off two businesses just like United technologies is doing and and in a way they were at least a little similar uh, Garrett was an auto company, but uh, residio is Somewhat similar to carrier, and it was uh, home to automation tools things like that uh Garrett is off seventy one percent since the spin off uh Resideo, I think is down over eighty percent uh these were the the auto business wasn't where Honeywell wanted to be. They had an activist breathing down their neck. There was calls for them to, find a, to sell the entire company to do something. They took two parts of the company that were maybe less attractive and basically said, shareholders, it's your problem. Uh, Residio is right now in, liti- or, I mean, Garrett is in litigation with Honeywell, uh, claiming that Honeywell basically used it to uh, dump their asbestos liabilities on them. Uh, there was, I mean, this was just, it, hindsight's twenty twenty, of course, but you could look at the pressure the company was on, look at the type of businesses where he spun out and say, you know what, they don't want these businesses, why should I? And that's certainly not always the case with a spin-out, but that does happen with spin-offs, and it's something that investors need to look at.
0: Yeah. Uh, Lou, we talked before the show, uh, you had mentioned Ed Breen. He is someone who is yeah. known as kind of the king, the king of spin-offs. Uh, how has he used spin-offs in the past?
1: So, so, yeah, let's say Ed, Ed Breen is the, is, the, is the god among us in, in, in this topic. Uh, he, for those uh, old times who remember, he took over Tyco International, a company in 2000, I think 2002 he stepped in. Uh, that was right around the time that company was floundering. Uh, Dennis Kozlowski was famously on his way to jail. Uh, a lot of people, myself included, thought that Tyco's best days were over. Uh, Breen came from Motorola, another company that's long gone uh to organize the company which was a very sprawling list of assets split it into three companies split the three the, the one part he stayed with he split into another three and uh we have five six companies there that most of them are still out there as independents it's everything from security systems healthcare uh he 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 turned what looked like manure at the time into gold. Uh, He then turned around and did the same thing. He took over uh, DuPont a few years ago, merged it with Dow. Uh, The new Dow DuPont then split into three companies and he's still with the new DuPont and they're looking at, at splitting again or divesting again. He has a real track record of he sees businesses that should be together and seeing businesses that would be better off on their own. Uh, frankly, given his track record, I give the benefit of the doubt to anything he wants to do in terms of corporate reorganizations.
0: Right. And so Ed Breen isn't associated directly with, with this United Technologies spinoff, but he's just an example of someone who, over years and years and years, can use this strategy to create lots of value for shareholders. And, you know, as the, you know, the, the, quotes I mentioned earlier from Michael Mobison and um, and Peter Lynch suggest that this is an area where a lot of uh, legendary, sophisticated investors look uh, for value. And so, going into these United Technologies companies now today, since there's three of them, Thought it would be fun to use the whole good, bad, and the ugly framework uh, to talk through uh, h- how we're viewing these companies, and that's not to say that I think all of these companies could be good investments under the right uh, under the right circumstances. But just given the market environment today, as these companies come spinoff, off, if we had to if we had to force these companies into these three categories, good, bad, and ugly of Otis, Carrier, and Raytheon Technologies. So first, we got to start with the good news first. Who would you label the good from the United Technologies spin off?
1: Well I think good in terms of just set it and forget it right now has to be Otis. This is a 13 billion dollar sales uh elevator manufacturer and maintainer. Uh, I think everybody knows the Otis name. We've we've all used their products a lot. Uh this this is a company that you know exactly what you're getting. It's slow growth, but it is huge huge aftermarket sales. All of their 2 million units installed internationally have to be serviced. Uh you can't really skimp on that with regulations. Uh, service makes up more than half of their revenue and 80% of adjusted operating profit. Uh, their service margins are north of 20%. Uh, new equipment is less than 10%. This is a company that you know what you're going to get. They, 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 they aren't a fast grower, but they, they generate cash. They return that cash to shareholders. And it is a really interesting company for someone who is income-oriented or looking for a, good, a dividend payer.
0: Yeah, Otis is a really interesting company to me. The elevator industry, very sleepy, old industry, been around for a hundred years. When you look at the market share in the industry, it's really kind of a it's it's there's a lot of players, but really there's four dominant people in the industry. There's Otis that is the the leader in market share, and then there's Schindler, Cohn, and ThyssenKrupp, that kind of round out uh, that top four, and they they really really dominate this market. Uh, so so you, have, so you have a tight oligopoly market. And then, as well, something that helps this business, you mentioned the servicing aspect of the business, which gives them an opportunity to earn revenue that is much higher margin than you would expect from someone making these giant industrial products like elevators. And so, that adds some opportunity for growth and recurring revenue for them over time. There's a flywheel of you install the elevator and then you have servicing that creates dependable revenue over time. But what's particularly interesting about this servicing to me, is given the safety concerns around elevators, they're in lots of buildings, there are requirements, uh, regulatory requirements to have these machines serviced on a regular, consistent schedule. So, you've got this industry that's very consolidated, that gives this opportunity for servicing revenue, and then your customers are required To pay for that servicing. Right. Uh, So,
1: you know, in good times and in bad too. That's, I mean, in this environment right now, all of the Fortune 500 are looking for ways that they can save money. Nobody's going to say, let's just put off servicing the elevators for a couple of years.
0: (laughs) Exactly. One of the greatest things to have as a business is a revenue stream that the law says your customer must pay. And there's a few of them out there. You look in the financial services industry, uh, you know, you're not going to stop. You know getting your trash collected, there's a few out there, and I think Otis is in one of those categories, and you know one of the things I, I, I've joked about when I talked about this company in the past is you throw this servicing in there it's an e v as a service, right It's elevator as a service, which which you know when you have an ele- elevator company uh, you don't you don't think of recurring revenue uh, and all these sorts of things. You did mention uh, Lou that uh, th- this is the type of stock that that could be good uh, for someone who is interested. Uh, In income, when you look at the dividend uh, uh, for Otis today, does anything stand out to you about that at all?
1: Well, you know, I mean, their commitment to the dividend I think is is worth mentioning. I think they, uh, you know, they're a new company, so they had to lay out what they see for the future. Their goal is forty percent dividend payout ratio. So basically, forty percent of their net income is going to go to the dividend. It it almost the bad news there is there's not a lot. Of R and D going on, there's not a lot of growth potential there. Uh, you're not going to see, as you say, this. This is an industry that is consolidated down. You're not going to see a big jump when they get bought out by a competitor. There's not much chance they're going to buy a competitor. But you know, I mean, th- th- their their revenue is not going to grow year to year that much. But they are they have money coming through the door, and they are very good at at, at turning around and giving that money back to shareholders.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so particularly on the equipment side of the market, there's not going to be a lot of room for growth, just because we're not throwing up tall buildings every other day. Um, there, there is, there is demand uh, for replacement for uh, on this equipment. You know, you, you know, as these things are getting more modern, they've actually talked about. I think it was a recent earnings call was talking about that they're, they're getting some software as a service revenue from things like these updated elevators, where if you want to be able to call the elevator for your apartment while you, on your phone, while you're while you're still in the uh, in your apartment, uh, they they can charge servicing revenue. So I, I think the the real opportunities for them are going to be uh, another, another thing to note as well is that the servicing market is a little bit more fragmented uh, than the original equipment manufacturing market. So it's not just uh, the, these big four players that are playing the servicing market. But I think really the story uh, for for this company is that the, the uh, you know equipment side of the market, that actually physically making the elevators, is going to be pretty steady over time. I don't think it's going to change. Where they could have some outsized returns would be if they could they could grab uh, market share uh, in servicing, and I think if if you look you know we talked about earlier of when you come out of these spin offs, uh, increased focus on the core business uh, can be an advantage and i think if if you look over the past several years, Otis has trailed uh, its competitors in sales growth uh, that sort of thing uh maybe that's because it was already very large, and so there's just there's just limits in how how much more you can grow, but there are some prospects for this company now that's spun off independent on its own to 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 maybe pick up some of that lost ground uh, on its competitors when it comes to growth rate uh, and that sort of thing we'll have to see but I, I think this is one of those companies that uh, you can see how on its own it can be it can be a little bit more attractive uh, than when you have this asset buried uh, inside with lots of other assets because you can't really see some of these flywheels uh, from from the recurring revenue and that sort of thing
1: sure sure yeah no no, and i do think there is opportunity i mean they haven't uh, china is where the growth is for the industry and i don't think that they would consider themselves i I think they can do a better job in china with the new equipment sales and that of course can trickle down to more servicing so there is incremental growth and as you say with better focus uh there are opportunities
0: yeah we shall see so moving along you know in our framework of good bad and ugly of from this spinoff who would be the bad In this framework for you, Lou?
1: Well, with the bad, we're going to have to go with carrier, which, uh, you know, and, and, being in Georgia, I can't really say too much about uh, too much bad about Willis Carrier, the uh, the guy who invented the air conditioner and uh, the reason we're all here. Uh, Carrier is that HVAC company uh, to this day. They uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, cooling. They also they they have expanded into. They're already selling building owners and building managers, building construction. So they also sell. Other tools for the building. They have uh, fire and security. Uh, they have diversified into refri- commercial refrigeration off of their air conditioning. Uh, this is an $18 billion company. HVAC is about 50% of sales. Uh, they are pretty well diversified globally, about half of their business in the Americas, another 30% in Europe. Uh, this is also a industry that should benefit from a lot of the so-called megatrends. Uh, we're urbanizing uh, which bigger buildings, uh, more commercial air conditioning systems, uh, the middle class, the emerging middle class around the world. Uh, air conditioning is not something that the, the it, or air conditioning is something that you associate with people coming into the middle class. Uh, global warming both as an opportunity if the world's getting hotter, but also on the regulation side, uh, we need more efficient systems and it's causing uh, older buildings to need to overhaul their HVAC. Uh, there's a lot going for this industry in the addressable market. Uh, unfortunately, this was also sort of viewed as the weak link inside United Technologies. Uh, this company, for one, they're coming out with a lot of debt. They're going to have about 11 billion, 11.4 billion dollars in gross debt. Uh, this is a company that was in need of a turnaround, uh, they'll now have the attention on it. Management hopes to uh, take out about $600 million in cost by 2020, or 2022, sorry. Uh, that was prior to the pandemic, and who knows what that means now. But uh, it, this is a company in an interesting market, but a company that, that is in need of a turnaround or is in need a, a fresh start.
0: So, Lou, when we talked about Otis just a second ago, we, we mentioned the consolidation in the market, are we? Is the, are there any similar dynamics at place in this air conditioning market that the carrier plays in, the HVAC market? I,
1: I think there is potential there. We have seen some deals. I mean, at covering United Technologies for years, uh, I I believe they shopped uh, carrier pretty heavily before the spin-out. Uh, there's some language in some of the regulatory filings that, that almost suggests that. I mean, we can't prove that, but uh, suggests that. Uh, You know, the the issue for them, I just talked about their debt Uh, in this macroeconomic environment and with their debt, uh, they... Can't be a buyer and they're not very attractive as a as a target. I mean, I, I think they would work so well with the newly reconstructed Johnson controls. Johnson Controls has has shed their auto business. They've shed a lot of their conglomerate. That's another interesting spinoff that we could get into sometime. Uh, Johnson controls would fit in very well with what Carrier is doing and create a real powerhouse that That would kind of go well in this industry. It's hard to imagine that happening for a few years. I I I still think that could happen, but um, you know, for now, this is a industrial manufacturer in need of a restructuring and a high debt load heading into a potential recession, and that that's a tough place to be.
0: Yeah, Lou, you mentioned that picture. Obviously, we're labeling it the bad uh, in this case. So, so of these three, probably the least. the least excited about owning, I would say, uh, carrier would be. However, uh, you know, we were talking before the show. Stephen Tussa, who's an analyst uh, at J.P. Morgan Chase, has uh, has done some great work on GE over the years. It uh, came out with a note uh, a week or two ago, where he called carrier a quote once in a generation opportunity, focusing on it, on its uh, trading at a significant discount uh, to its peers, calling out that that carrier uh, as a brand. Uh, is very well known in its space. You know, a, a very strong um, company. One of the uh, important uh, tenets of his once-in-a-generation opportunity thesis, however, is that Carrier could be divesting uh, uh, some assets to get that debt picture under control. So I, I know you. I know you've read uh, some of Steven Tessa's analysis. What are your thoughts on his arguments uh, that this actually could be a great opportunity to buy to buy uh, Carrier today?
1: Well, first of all, I should say, that, yeah, Tusk has been right about GE every step of the way, and uh, people should follow him very closely there. And I, 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 I have all the respect in the world for him. All I'd say about his report is, I think his quote was, "Management has to uh, has some wood to chop," was how he put it. And um, yeah, I, I, mean, I think he's right. If everything goes well, I, he he called the balance she stretched today, and uh, recommended divestitures. Uh, recommended a lot of work. Yes, he is correct. If all goes well, if they get the debt down, maybe if they they trim some assets, maybe if they find some opportunities, this is a strong brand and can be a good company. Uh, just there, don't don't. Underestimate the word "if" in that sentence. There, there is a lot of work to do to get there. Uh, not saying carriers should be shorted down to zero. I, of these three, though, clearly this to me this is the least attractive to hold for the next few years.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. I agree with you very much, uh, Lou. By process of elimination, good, bad, and the ugly. Well, we've already gone through two, so that means the ugly is Raytheon Technologies, the company uh, that is, that is formed out of the merger of Raytheon and then the aerospace division of United Technologies. When you look at this company, why is it the ugly, Lou?
1: This is by far the biggest of the three companies. Uh, With the Raytheon assets included, this is a $74 billion company. And interestingly enough, uh, United Technologies, we talked about Honeywell was the target of activism. United Technologies was too. Uh, Bill Ackman was very much involved in what was going on. And um, Ackman really liked the aerospace business and really didn't want to see the Raytheon deal done because he thought we were going to dirty this commercial business with a lot of uh, defense business. And uh, Boy, has the world changed (laughs) in in a short amount of time there. United Technologies makes Pratt and Whitney engines. Uh, We know that very well. A few years ago, they bought uh, Rockwell Collins. So they also are very big in commercial, especially interiors, but also the cockpit systems for uh, defense applications. Uh, Raytheon was missiles. Uh, sensors, a lot of space. Uh, Raytheon is the rare defense contractor that doesn't make a lot of heavy equipment, but they do make a lot of the brains and a lot of the sensors that go into this equipment. Uh, The argument for this deal was we would combine a strong commercial business with a strong defense business to have a more stable long-term play. The commercial people didn't like it. The defense people didn't like it. uh, The United Technologies looks really smart doing this. Raytheon, maybe not so much, because with this pandemic, we're seeing aircraft demand go to near zero. Uh, We've been talking a lot about Boeing. Uh, Boeing is seeing three to five years before commercial aerospace recovers. All of a sudden, this is still a great business. Pratt & Whitney engines aren't going anywhere, but all of a sudden, this legacy United Technologies aerospace business is just got a difficult road ahead. I mean, a lot of these commercial suppliers are down 50% or more year to date. Uh, having this Raytheon assets, this is a great time for them to have it. It's It's attractive, it's interesting, but for the next year, couple of years between the integration and the commercial slowdown it could be ugly
0: yeah well, on the on the commercial part of this business the analogy i keep thinking about is like you know when you go out for new year's eve and you get like really dressed up and you know you're going to be really fancy and you go out to your new year's eve party and you're having a no, good time
1: no i have no idea about that but yes. go ahead <laughs> well
0: well and you have a really good time on new year's eve and then you wake up new year's day maybe 11 twelve, maybe if you had a really good time, one in the afternoon, and you're looking really rough. I, I would explain that analogy of like the pre and post COVID of, of what the uh what these United Technologies assets are really. I mean it's the same assets, but you know, you went from you know looking as best as you possibly could uh with, with airline travel, probably at as good as it's been in years, uh, you know, the economy, you know, going on all, all cylinders to nobody's going anywhere uh everything is shut down and just overnight uh, how quickly uh the, that that narrative shifted when you look at the the debt profile of these companies as well you had some 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 notes on, on how how these sing together the the commercial part of the business was much more levered up uh than the defense right. part of the business uh, of Raytheon. can you talk about that a little bit
1: yeah i think coming into the deal uh the united Legacy United Technologies, they brought about twenty-four billion dollars worth of debt into the combination. Uh, Raytheon had about two billion, so that's twenty-six billion in total debt on about seventy-five billion dollars of sales. It's it's manageable, uh, but yeah, no, I mean imagine this business as you said the the hangover the, or the morning after. If United Technologies standalone commercial was out there today with uh, you know 40000000000 dollars in mostly commercial sales and twenty-four billion in debt and um, really just falling off a cliff revenue-wise for the next few years, that would be a very different situation. Now, suddenly you have a $70 billion plus military backlog to fall back on. Uh, the new Raytheon Technologies just beat out Lockheed Martin on a big missile competition. Uh, they, the Pentagon ended it two years early because they were winning. So uh, get it, let's get going with it. Uh, this the, the combination looks pretty darn good right now versus United Technologies' standalone. I would argue, for Raytheon holders, five, 10 years down the line, commercial will come back and you'll be glad you're a part of this business then, too, but um, the, the, the payoff for United Technology holders is immediate.
0: And then the question I, ha- I have, Lewis, obviously we've labeled this Raytheon uh, Technologies company, so the ticker is RTX, I want to note that because there's been a change since the merger. Uh, was completed um, but obviously we've lab- labeled it the the ugly we there's a lot of uncertainty around when commercial air travel uh, could return to where it was pre-Coronavirus or if it ever will return to that peak uh, after this. but when you're you know obviously there's a scale, how ugly would you say this business is right now given the, given those those question marks you know how much would you have to hold your nose to go buy the stock right now?
1: So by the way, I I am I have no doubt commercial air traffic will return. Will return, and feel free to uh, email me on that because I know it's it's far from certain. But uh, but it, it will return. It is going to take time. Uh, to buy it today, I it, here's how I would look at it. And and I follow airspace pretty closely. I look at you know some of my favorites, Lockheed Martin. I look at General Dynamics. that is somewhat beaten down due to Gulfstream, so they have some of these issues too. But they are in a much better place. Raytheon Technologies today, for the next year, holding in the next year to two years, when these other opportunities are out there, is pretty unattractive to me. Over the long term, if you have these shares, I would hold it. I really believe that the, the combined company, they will get it right. And over the long term, this will be an outperformer. But uh, you know, it's a three or four out of 10 tops as far as just buying in now, instead of buying some of these other companies that um, just don't have the challenge, uh, you know. The integration alone, even in good times, would be, you know, a challenge. And who knows how those go? Uh, add in this commercial issue. Uh, why, why sit in these shares for now? You'll probably buy them for the same price a year from now.
0: That's that's a great point. In the integration, you, you think about you're coming together with your new coworkers, and you know, your all your offices are closed and, and all that sort of thing. I mean, that has got to add a whole another layer of complexity uh, to this. You know, as far as kind of holding your stock, what you would do going forward? Just to to go back uh, uh, to to Vinny's question off the top of the show, if you're someone who holds, you know, held United Technologies coming into this spinoff, given you know the discussions we, we we've given around Otis Carrier and Raytheon Technologies that this is the successor company, you get these spun off shares. What are you doing with them right now? Are you holding them all? Are there any that you're selling? What would you do?
1: You know, for me personally, if there's any I sold, after, it would probably be the Otis, just because that's not the profile of a company that that I'm interested in. Uh, I don't necessarily think I'd be in a hurry to sell any of them. I wouldn't be in a hurry to buy any of them because, again, the the dividend play with Otis is not really what I'm looking for. But uh, there there isn't a stinker in this bunch. I don't think this is going to be a repeat of what we saw with Honeywell and its spinoffs. And I think over time, all of these businesses can become something. I mean, even in the worst case, I think Carrier will end up in the arms of someone else or, or it'll work out. So I would probably just hold tight to all three and, and see how it goes. Um, it, th- they may not be the best performer for the next six months, but uh, you know, that's, not, that's not the game we're playing.
0: Absolutely. Long term is the only game. That matters. Sure, just for fun, Lou. Before we go away, I, I know you follow a lot of different stocks, a lot of different spinoffs. Any, any other those, any other spinoff companies that our listeners should be aware of to keep on their radar.
1: So here's one for the radar only, because you should not buy this company right now, period, uh, today, based on what we just talked about with commercial aerospace. But it's a company called Helmet Aerospace. HWM is the ticker. And uh, you don't know this company, but you know its legacy. Uh, Alcoa, the aluminum maker, last decade had this idea that they wanted to get into more finished products. So in- instead of just making the raw material, they bought up a lot of companies that make things with Uh, aluminum, including a lot of aerospace assets. That didn't go so well. So they spun that off into something called Arconic, which also didn't do so well. So now Arconic has split in two and Halmet is the remaining aerospace businesses. They were always good assets. The uh, guy in charge of Alcoa way back when they put it together did a terrible job integrating them. This is a turnaround story and a bad environment. But long term, I really like the assets they have, and it should have worked out But be- With better management, quite frankly, it would have worked out better back in the beginning. And I think there is great potential for this business. I just don't really have any desire to buy into a commercial-focused aerospace business until we have more clarity about what's going on.
0: All right. So, Helmet Aerospace, can you give us that ticker one more time?
1: HWM. Uh, H- brand new in the last few weeks.
0: HWM. All right, folks, add that one to your watch list. Lou, thanks for coming on the show, as always. Thank you. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for his work behind the glass. For Lou Whiteman, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening and Fool
1: on!